Hello everyone, Mike and Jody Cleveland with you today. And Jody, we get to talk about New Covenant living today, don't we? Yes, we do. It's such a gift to be living in the New Covenant and not the Old. And I'm excited to share with our listeners what we're learning. Yes, and we want to talk about New Covenant living in relationships, in mm-hmm. in a marriage, in um, family relationships, <clears throat> in relationships at work. Because what good does it do us to know that we're under the new covenant, not the old covenant, as mere theology? Right. That's uh, like air bubble theology, meaning it just goes up and bursts and we don't get any actual practical benefit from it. Right. So we want to talk today about the new covenant in relationships, and we're using Hebrews chapter 10. So let's look together at Hebrews 10 and verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. This thing, this verse describes the law in two ways, as a shadow and not reality. All right, so we're living in a fantasy world under the law that we think we can actually do good and keep God's law and earn his favor and he'll smile on us for doing right. Right. I mean, I think this is just such a common um, struggle because we're born wired this way. Yeah. We're born working, right? It's it's part of the fall. And who wants to live in darkness? No, right. Not the me. law is a shadow. Right. right. <laughs> we don't want to live in the shadows. <clears throat> we want to live in the realities, in the light. Jesus yes. said, anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness. We'll never live in shadows. Right. We're following the one who is light himself. Yes. So for this reason, it says, the law can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Now, Jody, there is an implication in this verse. Did you happen to see the implication? Um, Well, that we can um, be made perfect. Right? Right. Yeah, the law can't do it. So it's contrasting here the Old Covenant Ten Commandment Law and all of the ceremonial and sacrificial law with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says under the Old Covenant, it could never make you perfect. The implication is under the New Covenant, you have been made perfect. And he's going to say that very thing in verses 10 to 14. But right now what we're looking at here is that this endless chain of sacrifices, this treadmill, if you will, this never-ending line of sacrifices that had to happen daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly right. could never make you perfect. Right. Well, it's like when we, um, let's say that you and I are standing outside, your shadow can do nothing for me. It's just a shadow. There's no substance to it. There's no, it's, it's a, it's a, a hint at something that could help me. It's a hint at someone who I could talk to and fellowship with and, and, and enjoy. But it's, it's not. I can't talk to your shadow. It will not respond to me. It cannot do anything for me. And that is what he's saying about the law. It's just a shadow. It's just That's a shadow. Excellent. Right? A shadow that pointed to the cross of Christ, which is where the substance is, the foundation for our lives. Something that can produce perfection. Right? That's a very good illustration. Why would you stare at a shadow? Why? Have you ever saw somebody talking to a shadow when the person was right there? 
<laughs> we would and worry we, about we would, them. We would think something might be a little wrong. Right. Why sure. do we spend our time looking at the law in the sense of wanting to keep it, in the right. sense of trying to obey it? It's every believer has within them the desire to obey, right? To, to follow Christ means obeying, but it's not to gain his favor. It's because you already have it. Right. When he died for you, God smiled at you. And this was the eternal smile of God, the death of Jesus Christ. And because of that, now it's a joy, great joy to want to follow him, to obey the new covenant command that he has given us, which is to believe in the Son of God right. and to love our brothers and sisters. Amen. So we, we're looking here at verse 1, and it says that this whole lineup of sacrifices mm -hmm. could not make those perfect who drew near to worship. Right. Uh, and and so verse 2 picks up on that, and it says something would have happened had they been made perfect. What is that? Yeah, he says, otherwise would they not have stopped being offered. In other words, if if obeying the law, if offering all these sacri animal sacrifices could make us perfect, then we would have stopped. We right. would have done it, and oh, okay, all done now, and now we're just going to worship and live in that uh perfection that's been achieved for us through these animal sacrifices. Right. And I want to talk about relationships for a minute. Okay. And that is, we just talked about the smile of God happening at the cross. That means his acceptance of you. Right. He's pleased with you. Right. Regardless of your sin, regardless of your failures, mm -hmm. God is happy with you. He's pleased with you forever. Right. Now, in a relationship, should we live so that I have to continually measure up to you and try my best to win your approval. And if I fail and if I fall, you are frowning at me and vice versa. Is that the way to live? Well, it's not. <laughs> it's not. We're supposed to love each other as we have been loved, right? right? As Christ has loved us on the cross who gave himself up for us and died to himself um, and poured out all that love into our hearts. And we've received... And so if we treat each other in a conditional way, in a um, you, you need to earn my love all the time type of way, we are hoarding or stopping up uh, or even maybe denying mm. the love that's been poured in our hearts, right? It'd be like if we um, went to someone who was desperately poor, you mm -hmm. know, and we said, you know, give me, give me. What you got there? Mm -hmm. I, what You've got something left? I'm sorry, is that a mat you're sleeping on? Yeah, I'll take that. Mm. While we have a house and a bed and all these things, mm. right? We're, we're asking when we have an abundance, mm. we're taking more from someone else. And that's not gospel relationship. Mm -hmm. Gospel relationship is generous. Yeah. And it bears with and it in, in, um, pours out its life for the other person, not to get an end result, mm -hmm. not to, because it's been earned. Mm -hmm. So what we're talking about here is that when you look at the cross, you are flooded with the love of God. You're flooded with his acceptance. You're flooded with the understanding that you're right with him, not based upon what you do, but based upon what he did. And that can overflow to relationships so that what you've just received you're able to pour out, not hoping for a response, but rather because you can't help it. You can't stop. 
right? And that's the joy of the gospel, isn't it? So now we look at verse 2, and we're talking about these um, various implications that he's making. One of them is that we just mentioned, if you had been made perfect, you would have not had to keep offering those sacrifices year after year. The implication is, through the once-for-all sacrifice, God views you as perfect. Yes. Okay, there's another implication in the next sentence. You want to read that? Okay. For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. Implication? Um, that uh, we there is an opportunity for us to not feel guilty for our sins. Yes. And we're cleansed once for all. Woo! Right? Because look at what happens when the cross was opened. Zechariah 13 verse 1 says, On that day a fountain would be opened to cleanse us from impurity, to remove idols idols from the land. Right. The cross is the great cleansing soap for the Christian, for the unbeliever who are in their dirty, filthy sins. Jesus took those on himself, and the unbeliever looks to the cross and experiences the fountain of cleansing. But so does the believer. Right. And, and this is where we see the implication of this here is we'll be cleansed once for all and we won't feel guilty for our sins. Right. This is an actual reality in my life, Jody. Right. I do not feel guilty. Right. The reason is Jesus was made guilty. If I feel guilty, I'm denying the work that he did for me. Right. I'm looking at the cross and saying, yes, I see you dying with my guilt on you, but that's not enough. I likewise must assume some of this guilt myself. Right. And, and we aren't saying that we um, flaunt our sin, right? That's obviously wrong, right? We're not going to, I'm not guilty. And, yeah. and you know what I mean? Like, no. I'm like, a, it was the error of the guy in First Corinthians who yeah, was boasting flaunting. about his it's immorality, yeah. right? And, um, and Paul was like, uh, that's not right. Right. Um, so that's not what we're saying, but what we are saying is that Christ has made us perfect eternally. Yeah. But before God, when we sin, we are not guilty. Our debt has already been paid. Right. And so there, there, there's an importance to this. Why is it important that we don't hang on to guilt or that we don't, and I, I want to say this about children especially, why is it important that we do not make our children feel guilty when they do wrong? The answer is because they will live up to that label you put on them. They will, won't they? You yeah. have described before in your past how you were labeled as a black sheep. Yes. You know, and that became your identity. It so really did. we begin to act according to our identity. Yeah. Now we have no guilt. We act that way. We act, this is the greatest liberating, sin freeing, freeing us from sin experience I've ever had. Yeah. Because when I have no guilt, literally, not not just that I don't feel guilt, although there, that's that as well, but I literally have no guilt. It frees me from sin. Right. And I begin to live differently than I did while I was immersed in the guilt of my sin. It's a beautiful experience that changes your heart and changes the way that you live when you see that you're cleansed once for all and you no longer feel guilty for your sins. And, and, and this is something, Jody, that has to be in relationships in order for them to be healthy. Right. Because we need to look at each other with two words, not guilty. Right. 
whenever you sin against me, I should immediately think you are not guilty of that sin. It's been taken off of you. Right. And I'm not going to put it back on you. Right. I don't want to load you down with the guilt of your sin when God says that this woman I'm married to is not guilty. <laughs> right, right. God has forgiven uh, you for your sin. God has forgiven me for my sin. And we don't want to operate with one another, um, holding it against each other, holding sins against each other. Right. So how do we do that? What When, when we offend each other, what is the way that we address that sin without making the person feel guilty or shaming them or making them feel bad for what they've done? Well, that's a really good question. Um, One of the things we don't want to do is to sweep it under the rug, pretend it never happened. After all, they're not guilty. Right. Um, And so that all that stuff you sweep under the rug begins to smell and pile up and you trip over it and then you hurt each other. Right. You have to talk about it. It's okay to say, you know, that hurt me. That, right. What what happened there? That hurt me. What's not okay to do is to live in that, to not forgive that, right. to go on living as if Christ had not died, right? Right. to perpetuate the hurt, to cling to it, to hold on to it, to live in a dark countenance toward my wife, toward your husband. Right. And so we can address it, we can talk about it, but we don't um, keep under the guilt of it. Right. I think one of the best habits that we as Christians can develop is to talk to God about a situation before we talk to the person who has sinned against us. Yes. Right. That's really good. process it with the Lord. Pour out your heart. Get out all your upset. Mm-hmm. Get out all your frustration, whatever it is that you're feeling, woundedness or you know, um, anger or whatever Mm -hmm. and get that out before God come to the cross and remember what Christ has done, not only for you, but for that other person. And then in that frame of mind, go and speak with them and say, you know, what you did there was, was hurtful to me or what you did there really upset me. But, but I'm not going to, I want you to know I love you mm-hmm. and I want you to know that God loves you and that you are forgiven. I forgive you. God forgives you. We can move forward. Let's talk about how we can move forward without doing that again or Good. you know in another way, right? Right. And you're talking about pouring out your heart to God. Psalm 62:8 says, "Trust in him at all times, O people." Pour out your hearts before him or to him. And as you do that, it becomes where you don't have to continually pour out your heart to other people. That's true. Um, Just simply because you've done so to the Lord and your heart is unburdened on him. You've gone to the one who told you to cast your cares on him. If you cast your cares on him, you don't retain them and have to go to other people and cast your cares on them. Um, And so this is a a good way. So as we look at this scripture, again, there's more implications here in verse 3, which says, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Right. The implication is? Your sin has been taken away. Yes. My sin has been taken away. If you were to look at the cross, what you see Jesus figuratively doing 
is reaching out his hands to every person and pulling their sins away from them, Mm. taking them away from them, dying for that person. Uh, And that's beautiful. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, Jesus did not die for people, but for each person. If each person had been the only person made, he would have done no less. Jesus is taking away the sins of each person. Isn't that glorious? It really is. And um, that's, I think that's one thing that really feeds our hearts when we, especially when we are dealing with um, our own sin struggles, the sin struggles of other people, our children, our boss, our whoever that we're interacting with, somebody that cuts us off on the road, the perfect stranger we don't even know. All right, one of the things that really nourishes the soul is when we come to the cross and we see what Christ has done. We mm. see that love and that powerful sin-ridding, uh, rescuing, ransoming, redeeming guilt sacrifice. Destroying. Yes, <laughs> guilt destroying, you know, shame lifting, shame eraser, <laughs> you know, all these wonderful things. Talk about a magic eraser. That <laughs> the cross is the most glorious um miracle of all time right right and when we when we see that when we look to christ and i think this is so imperative that we do it as as often as we can right i would say continually but the distractions of the life you know Mm -hmm. are hard right but just as often as we can remember what Christ has done for us yes. on the cross and receive that love afresh every day. Receive that forgiveness and that freedom and that that um, weight lifting yeah. power. Uh, walk around saying, he took away my sins. Right. right? And, and you can look at the scapegoat in Leviticus 16 where the priest would put all the sins of the people symbolically on the scapegoat and watch it walk away yes. from them, clear out into the wilderness. Right. He took away my sins. That's why God gave us these pictures of the gospel, that we might have these images in our minds. He took away my sins. Now, one of the greatest things we can do in relationship for each other is to take away the sin of the other person. And you are so marvelous at this, Jody. You are so marvelous, at least in my life, and I know all the women that you interact with. You just just sort of take away their sin. I see that in in the story of Joseph. Remember when he was sending his brothers back to their father Uh to go get him? Um, The one thing that they were terrified of is having to tell their father, oh, remember when we told you that Joseph was torn apart by a beast? Turns out we actually sold him into slavery. Do you know that Joseph scripted their comments to their father? He told them exactly what to say. And nowhere in those comments were they to mention their past sin. Joseph, in a sense, was taking away their sin. And this is what, listen, you will have ministry partners, friends for life if you just do the one thing of, of just taking away their sin. Right. Of living as if it didn't exist. Yes. It's it is. It's so liberating when you can um build someone up, someone who's fallen, right? We don't we don't go let's say we see a person fall on the road, we don't run over to them and kick them. 
Right. That's not that's not helpful. Right. Right. What we do is we put out a hand, right? And we help them up if we can. All right. And that is what we want to do with each other. And you do this gloriously as well. Do not, you know, I, I don't want people thinking that, that I'm in here, you know, <laughs> being the, the representative of Jesus or something. I, you know, we are that for each other. And, yeah. um, and you are forever picking me up. I get discouraged or I get frustrated or I get, um, disappointed or whatever it is that I'm struggling with right in the moment and you're forever helping me view the cross and remember you are loved yeah you are forgiven you are free and you can live in that well that's how we apply a new covenant living to relationships yes. so let's stop for now Jody but as okay. we come back next time remember we left off at verse 4 that says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins yes Next time we come back and see how Jesus did exactly that. Oh, I can't wait. That's verse 5. Great.